Fathers, we break your bread today, your holy and divine word. We pray, Father, that our eyes and ears will be open to the truth. That we may be challenged by it and that Jesus Christ might be glorified through it. In his name we pray. Amen. Good morning. If you would, open your Bibles up again to Psalm 91, if you have them. Psalm 91. We're going to complete that. I'm trying to get on to where it's only 50-some years we go line by line and not uh, 95. We talked last week about how there's 1,189 chapters in the Word of God, and if we covered each chapter each week that we were here, it would take 28.3 years to cover each chapter. And the way I teach, it would take 95 or 100 years, and I don't have that, so I've, I've got to get going. And I heard several amens in the background whenever I said that. So I'm going to try to finish up this chapter today. We'll, we'll be doing it in 56 years instead, so uh, everybody... Let's dig in here. This was penned by Moses, we found out. It was during the darkest hour. It was when he had come back and said, God said, let my people go. And he said, no, I will not. And then he said, let's take these Hebrews who are rising up against us and let's tell them to make bricks without straw and let's work them harder and let's be taskmasters. And so during this dark hour when they thought they, their deliverance was coming and then it didn't happen, but things got worse. The Holy Spirit revealed to Moses these words to them as truth and as the way that he was going to protect them and bring them through this. And this applies to you and I today as well. That's why it is in this canon of Scripture as inspiration, because it is still alive and powerful and just as prevalent today as it was when he penned it. And it begins this way in Psalm 91. That whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, He is my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And surely He will save me from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers. Under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by days, nor the pestilence that stalks you in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand upon your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe it with your eyes. You will see the punishment that comes to the wicked. If you say, this is our choice, that the Lord is my refuge, and you decide to make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent, for He will command His angels concerning you. They will guard you, In all of your ways, they will lift you up. They will bear you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Why? Because he says that he loves me, 
The Lord then says, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and bring honors upon him. With life, I will satisfy him and I will show him my salvation. This is powerful stuff. This is a psalm of hope. It's a psalm of deliverance. It's a psalm of promise, of perseverance. It's a psalm of deliverance. It's there to help us in everything we do. We saw last week in verses 1 through 4 that I have a choice to make. Where do I want to dwell? In whose nest do I want to be? Do I want to be in God's nest covered by His wings and feathers, protected and shielded? Or do I want to wander outside of that protection? Choices, not chance, dictate our destination. And I first heard that phrase and I wrote it down listening to Dave Ramsey about 15 years ago on the radio when a guy on there talking about your destination in financial life was choices, not chance, determines where you wind up with. Do you choose to save? Do you choose to put back? I said, what a great spiritual application. And I wrote that down like 15 years ago. Your choices, not chance, determines your destination. Making the most high my dwelling place is the biggest choice that you will make in life, my friends. And it determines outcomes. With Him you will find rest in His shadow. When you can truthfully say, My God is my refuge and my fortress. I place my trust into Him. Surely, it says, He promises to deliver me. To take care of me and to keep me from the devil's snare. And the taxing pestilence that comes to the mind. That's what those words meant there we saw last week. He will cover me and take care of me. His truth, His promises will come through. He is the eternal God of heaven, the Most High, and He has given this promise to you and I. And since it's Sunday, we're going to take our Sunday drive. We're going to go outside of Psalm 91 for a minute and take our little Sunday cruise down to Exodus. Keep your finger here. Keep your finger at Psalm 91, but turn back to Exodus chapter 8. I'm going to quickly go through a couple of little situations in Exodus that they were going through while these words were being penned and while these promises were being given so that then we understand the impact that it has upon us. Exodus chapter 8 verses 20 through 24 says this, The Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning and go and confront Pharaoh. And as he goes to the river, I want you to say to him, The Lord says, let my people go, so that they may worship me. If you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies upon you. They will be so thick that upon your officials and upon your people and in their houses, they will be full of flies, so full that even the ground will be covered with flies. On that day, though, God says, I will deal differently 
with the land of Goshen. You know what's special about the land of Goshen? That's where my people are, he says. My people live there, and I will make a difference. There will be no swarm of flies where my people dwell. There is a distinction, he says in verse 23. I make a distinction between my people and where they dwell and the people of Egypt. And this is going to happen tomorrow. And then it says, the Lord did this. And dense swarms of flies poured in to Pharaoh's palace and to all the houses of the officials and to all of the houses of Egypt. And it says the land was ruined by the pestilence of these flies. And I don't know about you, but I hate flies. I hate just one of them buzzing around and bugging me. Could you imagine if they were swarming in the air, if the entire ground was filled, every footstep you took was crunching flies, they're on your food, they're in your clothes, they're in everything? Couldn't imagine. But that's what was going on. He sent them there, but you know what there was? He said, but I make a difference between my people and where they dwell versus you. Ah, Psalm 91. It goes back. If you will dwell, if you make your dwelling with me in my shadow and in my nest, I will protect and shield you. And he was showing them just that with this plague of flies. I am able to protect you when the rest of the world is being swarmed and bothered by something. Then he says, I deal differently because you are my people and you are dwelling with me. But I want you to know that I'm not talking about life is going to be a bed of roses. That's not what he's saying here. You're still going to have circumstances in life that are wearing upon you. Joseph, even though God shielded him and it said five times in one chapter he is with him and he's protecting him and he's surrounding him and he's doing this, he found favor, he was, he was still in prison. He was still facing beatings. We saw in one of the Psalms where it says that his throat and his legs were bruised by the chains and the shackles that he was put in. Your circumstances is not your dwelling place. Your dwelling place is where your mind is and where your heart is. That's your dwelling place. And he says, if your mind, if your heart is focused on me, and you know that all things are going to work together for good, and that you can cast your cares upon me, you start trusting in the promises, then where you dwell at is going to be a place of safety no matter what is going on around you. He's using these physical circumstances to show you what the mental impact is upon us. Life is not going to be perfect, but you make it better by what your thought processes are. This is an amazing display of God's providence and power. Ten plagues, he was able to do this and make a distinction between Egypt and his people and what he did. I hope to be able to study one day the book of Exodus with you and the life of Moses and to go into all of these things. There's a lot there. I've got a deep study on that at home. One of these times we will get into that as we go. But now, in verse or chapter 10 of Exodus, when we move on in verse 21, it talked about a special darkness that came. This darkness in the Hebrew language is koshek. It's a different word from nighttime. This is a darkness that was in Genesis 1 verse 2. When it says that 
darkness was upon the face of the deep before the Spirit of God moved across it. This type of darkness is thick. It's a type of darkness that light cannot penetrate through. At nighttime, there is still some light. You've got light reflectors going on. You've got stars and the moon and you've got things happening. Koshek is a darkness that has a spiritual connotation behind it of almost demonic proportions. So he brought a darkness that it says in chapter 10 was so thick they could feel it. You could feel the darkness. And it says they could not move for three days. They did not move because of fear of the darkness. And it was so thick that they they were bound by it. Now you skip to chapter 14 if you're in Exodus still following along. Another thing that happened, he led Moses and Israel now away. Pharaoh finally said, go, go worship your God. Take our blessings and go. But then he hardened his heart again. And he said, I've changed my mind. We're not going to let him go. And they came after him. God had directed Moses where to take the people. They came to the shore of the Red Sea. On each side was mountains. And then someone looked behind them and the army of Pharaoh was bearing down upon them. What do you do? They went into panic. They went into panic palaces we was talking about with, with Pharaoh's Egypt with Joseph. They've seen ten great miracles through these plagues and how God took care of them and shielded them. And the first test that comes about, they panic. They freeze. You ever wondered where that word panic come from? You know, today you also have things known as panic attacks, right? You get a panic attack and it takes over you. If you've ever heard of the mythical legend of what they call as their, in the pagan world, the god Pan, he was the one that was half man and half goat. He's the one that has the head and the chest of a man and then it goes out into the legs of the goat. That's Pan. He's the god of the forests and the pastures. And it says that he was often tormented. So at night and even during his naps in the day because he didn't sleep at night and he moaned and groaned that he was all the time moaning, groaning, making noises. So in the dark, the things that you can't see but you hear noises produces fear and that fear is given to you because of the legend of pan being the god of the the forest at night and so you would get panic attacks you would get this fear because of the unknown but you hear things and it throws you into these things panic attacks are the opposite of trusting in god trusting in him he says in the darkness it will not overtake you because I am with you. But this is where panic comes from, is from this imagery and where it came. That's where the word came from. So now, Psalm 91 tells us that we are not to fear the mental terrors that would take you in the nighttime. In Exodus 14, Israel panicked. But Moses was given the word to tell them what? Be still. Stand still and then know that I am God. Whenever you start to get fearful, be still. Put your mind back in contact with God. 
and get over the panic attack that you're getting ready to have. Moses answered their cries in verse 13, Do not be afraid. Stand firm. You will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians that you see today, you will see again no more. All you need to do is to stand still. Wow. Psalm 46.10 Be still and know that I am God. Now, instead of panic now, they listened to that. And they stood firm and they saw the deliverance of God. And Moses said, The Lord will fight for you. Just be still. And look what happens. Now this is important. Verse 19, if you're you're following along. The angel of the Lord... Remember this in a moment when we get to our guardian angel and what he's doing. The angel of the Lord, who has been traveling in front of Israel, now withdraws and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud that had been in front went and moved to the back behind them also, coming between the children of Israel and the armies of Egypt. And throughout the night time, Throughout that time of fear and dread, it says that the cloud and the angel of the Lord made a separation the entire time between Israel and Egypt. And in the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and the cloud at the Egyptian army, and it says he threw him into confusion, into chaos. And he jammed the wheels so it was hard for the chariots to move. And the Egyptians began to shout, The Lord is fighting for them. It's time for us to flee. And then it says that Moses obeyed what the Lord told him and the waters came back crashing down upon all of the chariots and upon all of the army. And Psalm 91, if you'll remember when we read it, it says that you will only observe it with your eyes. That a thousand may fall on one side and ten thousand on your right hand, but you will, it will not come near you. You will only observe it with your eyes. And that next morning, they observed with their eyes the deliverance of the Lord as ten thousands of the army never was seen again, and yet they were untouched. And that promise was written then. The promise is given to us today in Psalm 91. Verse 30 says, That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians when they saw the mighty hand of the Lord at work on display against the Egyptians. And that caused the people to fear God, put their trust in Him and in Moses His servant. This was not only judgment upon Egypt as well, but as God had prepared all of this, He told them in Exodus chapter 12, verse 12, that these are going to be judgments upon the gods of Egypt as well. There are, that's a small g, not a large g, but there are demonic beings who are worshipped that are small g gods that control the nations as we get into studying about the unseen realm, and we get into studying about these things, we'll bring out what all of this means as we go along. But this psalm was given by the Holy Spirit and His word of truth of what He would do for them and what He will do for you and I as well. God is begging us to trust in Him, to 
to love him and to place our refuge and our strength with him. All the gods of Egypt want to torment us. But he says, I will protect you. This was written 3,500 years ago. But it's just as prevalent today as it was then. But will we receive it? Let's go back and relook at this thing. Psalm 91. Let's go back to home now. We've took our drive. Let's go back home and relook at this thing. Verse 5, breaking some new ground here. You will not fear the terror of night, that panic attack, nor the arrow that flies by days. The word not here is the Hebrew word lo. And there's two words for not or no. One is al. It means not at this moment. That means that like if you turned your stove on and now it's off but it's hot and someone gets ready to reach, you say, don't touch it, it's hot. But you know what, in an hour it won't be hot. So that word is a temporary no. But the Hebrew word low that's used here is a permanent type of a word. It means like never. It's the words that were used whenever he wrote the Ten Commandments 3,500 years ago. And the same thou shall not steal that was applicable 3,500 years ago still applies today. And that's the word that's used here in thou shall not fear these things. You never have to fear them if you know that I am with you. That's what this is trying to get across to us. You might have terrors out in the night, but you do not have to be afraid of them because you are serving me and I am taking care of you. There's a distinction here being made at all times, nighttime, daytime. There's terrors at night and there's arrows in the day. It doesn't matter when... Nighttime here is not that word for darkness. This is the nighttime, and that's a temporary period, and it means to twist away the word that's used here. Light is twisted away, shielded and deflected from the sun to the earth. And in the same way, now in the time of a nighttime, when light is twisted away and you don't think you see the light, this is a time of night. The light is still there. It's twisted away and you've got to bring it back into focus. You are not to be afraid at either one of these times. Lo, never am I to fear the pestilence that stalks me in the darkness or the plagues that are visible in the days. Even though the thousands and the tens of thousands would surround me, I am still not to be fearful of that. They saw the deliverance of the Lord that day. And then you say, how? How can that be? Well, verse 9 tells us how that is. If you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. Because I am in Christ. You remember last week we talked about positional truth. We talked about our position in Christ means everything. Not because of who and what I am, but because who and what He is and what He did for me. And that being in Christ, I have a position now that where I'm being taken care of. And it says, when I am walking in fellowship with Him, and I am walking in the light as He is in the light, these things are not going to happen to me. He says, oh, not near your tent. A tent is a portable dwelling. It's not a permanent fixture. They lived in tents. That means you can take your shelter, your protection with you wherever you go. 
Today, you might take an umbrella with you. Why? Because if a downpour starts to come, what can you do? Push a button, and now you have shelter. You have a temporary protection from what's getting ready to come. Same thing with the Word of God. As we learn line upon line, as we saw last week, precept upon precept, promise upon promise, you have it inside of you, and your shelter is with you wherever you go. They can take your car, they can take your house, they can take your job, they can take many things, but they can't take Bible doctrine from you. They cannot take your protection, they cannot take your shelter from you. You always carry it with you wherever you go. And that's the idea that happens here. That's why we learn it. That's why we come together so that we can put this together and have a portable shelter that we take with us every day, everywhere that we go. And he says, if you say that the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, then look at verse 11. There's more help available. The Calvary is coming. The Lord sends his Calvary and he says, I will command my angels concerning you. Let's read that again. But as you do, I want you to insert your name there. I will command my angels concerning Daryl T. To guard you in all of your ways. This is a promise. That's a promise to each and every one who is choosing to make the Lord their refuge. How often do I fail to think about this? Almost all the time. Have you ever really thought that I have an angel that has been charged and commanded to guard me at every moment? I don't. Shame on me. Because he is and he's there and he's ready and he's been charged with that protection for me. The word charged is a military command of term. It means that when you're in the military and the commanding officer says for you to do something, you do it and you don't disobey a direct order. This angel who has been charged to watch over you and I doesn't have a mind of his own. He is a created spiritual being who was created to serve and worship God. And God has charged him as the commanding officer to watch over each and every one of you. You have a guardian angel and he has no mind of his own. Because if he did, mine would say, <laughs> you know what? You ever, anyone ever see The Longest Yard? Whenever the offensive lineman said, I'm going to let this guy go through, and he steps aside and the linebacker comes through and just drills that quarterback. My angel would like to say, he never thinks about me. He never thanks me for saving him out of this situation. I think one of these times I'm going to step aside and I'm going to let that little demon come through and just pop him a good one so that maybe he will start paying attention to me. But you know what? He can't do that. He doesn't have a mind of his own because he's been charged by God to protect and guard me. In how many of my ways does it say? All my ways. All my ways. Because he knows me and he knows that all of my ways aren't the right way. And so God is faithful even when I'm not. 
And he's got that angel standing there. He is forbidden to do that all of my ways. And to guard is a word with colorful meaning. I want you to know this. See, the shepherds, they would go out. And if, if the setting was scrubby, they had to keep moving on. They would graze there today and another place tomorrow. But if they came to a pasture, a land where it was really lush and they could stay for a while, that shepherd, being the good shepherd that he is, he would go out and he will find tree limbs and put stakes down. And then he would go out and find all kinds of branches, and especially the ones with briars on them. Blackberry bushes, the acacia tree was like our locusts and stuff that has the thorns on them. And they will take those and they weave them in and out of these stakes, just like that fence right there. And that's what they would provide as the protection out there so that they could graze for several days and spend the night in a place that was safe and secure. So the shepherd would provide this. And you know what it was called? Their hedge of protection. They took the hedges and made a hedgerow and provided a hedge of protection with these thorns. And a hedge of protection does two things. First of all, it protects you. When you're inside, it protects you from what's outside, the predators and the stuff that wanted to come after them little woolies. They're defenseless. They're dumb. That's why it says, like, we, like sheep, have all gone astray. God wants to put us in the corral. He wants to put us in the hedge. But a lot of times, my mind says, I want to go astray. So a hedge is supposed to keep you in the area of protection and keep the stuff out from away from you. So it's two things. One of them is to keep me in. The Word of God and my guardian angels is my hedge of protection. It's there for me. But what do sheep want to do? Wander. And if I start pushing the boundary, if I try to push against that hedge of protection, I'm not only going to get stuck by the thorns, but what likes to hide in hedgerows and fence rows, all you country boys and girls? Snakes. Snakes. Snakes like hedgerows. Guess what the devil's described as? Who was he when he appeared to Eve? Guess what's in the hedgerow? If I try to push my way through the hedge, I'm going to get bit. That hedge is there for a reason. The predators know that it's there too. They're waiting just outside or in between it to get to us when we get too close. I am supposed to stay away from the boundary. A hedge is a boundary. You place a boundary of protection around you. And that's the imagery of this word here when it says this angel has been charged by the commanding officer to place a protection hedge around you to take care of you in all of your ways. They have no choice in the matter. And you say, well, how many angels do I have protecting me? That's a good question. I'm going to say, first of all, we only need one. (laughs) They are powerful. Man. I think it's 2 Samuel 24. David was being punished for numbering the people. During that punishment, an angel of the Lord came, and in one night, 70,000 people. 
in Isaiah, Sennacherib's time, his army was standing outside of their fence wall, their hedge of protection. The angel of the Lord that night moved and 185,000 of the army of the Assyrians was laid to rest. One angel. We don't need more than one angel. Revelation tells us that one angel can stand with his foot in the middle of a continent and the other foot in the middle of the ocean and spread apart. Four angels stand at the four corners of the earth and hold back the winds and direct the weather. It doesn't take many angels to do the job that God has set for you. How many times have I been going through life and I see almost like a fast-paced blur and I thought that I was going to hit something with the car and you just kind of, there's that fast pace and you blur next thing you know you're driving by and how did I miss that? I've done that. Makes you wonder. He is able to lift you up, it says, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Unless something trip you up. They are charged to take care of that. David, at one point, and we're going to study the life of David too. Boy, i got all these things I want to share with you. David, in his life, he was one time mentally challenged with some things, with problems. He'd ran away from God and went to hide out in Gath, where Goliath was from. He thought Gath and the the, uh, king of Gath was going to protect him instead of God. He goes there and he becomes mentally unstable. He starts drooling through his beard and writing on the walls with his finger. You know what delivered him whenever he got out because the king says I've got enough delirious people in my kingdom I don't need another one send him out he wanted nothing to do with him and when he did we find this in Psalm 34 and verse 7 this happened to David this is also a promise for you and I Psalm 34 7 says the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him I've not heard anybody say amen or praise God through all of this. You've got a guardian angel. He's encamping around those that fear Him. He is bearing you up. Does that not get you excited? I mean, I'm just standing here going, wow, and for me, the mess that I am, and you're doing that for me? He says, the angel of the Lord is going to to do that. And the angel of the Lord took David under his wing and made him from the wreck that he was when he left outside of Gath to the greatest man who lived in his time. He became the man that God said is the apple of my eye. And the angel of the Lord encamped around him and taught him and bore him up and took him back to that place of prominence. Now... Another passage that we're going to study probably in the near future in a couple of weeks. Matthew 18, verse 10 says this. You could miss this one. This is an easy one to miss about guardian angels. But it says, take heed that you despise not. Now this is Jesus talking. One of these little ones. For I say unto you that where in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. So not only is your angel guarding you, but he has the ability to be in the presence of God before his face 
explaining the trauma that you are in as a child of God when somebody is despising you, when somebody is doing something to you and things are going against you. Your angels are protecting you and at the same time reporting to God about the situation. They encamp, they protect, they give instruction for our welfare, they guide. If you remember in Exodus it said, that the angel of the Lord went from before them at the Red Sea and went to the back to protect them. The promise went on past that. In Exodus 23, in verse 20, it said, Behold, I send an angel before you as you go into the land on your journey to keep you in the way. Now, what's the way? It's the path that leads to God. Jesus said, I am what? The way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father but through me. So the angels keep us in the way that we are supposed to go. They take care of us and they bring us to the place that He has prepared for us. This is an application to us because this was after the Red Sea event. This is going into the land that was promised to them. Angels are the focal point of Hebrews chapter 1 because you might say a lot of these things have been in the Old Testament. What about the New? Okay, Hebrews chapter 1, the whole focal point is about Christ and angels and who's greater and who serves. And you know what Hebrews 1 and verse 14 says to you and I? Are not all the angels, how many? All the angels are ministering spirits sent to what? Serve those who are to inherit salvation. That's Christians. That's those who obey the call, who are baptized into Christ, who take upon His name. Those who are inheriting salvation, all of the angels are ministering spirits for you. And if you are here today and you're not a Christian... This right here should be number one on the list. Without that, I may not have that same protection. I may not have this same guidance. I may not have these same promises. So I would say that if you are here and you are not a Christian, please change that today and come forward and allow us to baptize you into Christ and put you into this protection. Because we have angels that are given to us as ministering spirits for those who are to inherit salvation. Same thing from Psalm 91. God has charged these to take care of us. If we are, He will guard us. We're going to go into greater study as this years progress into these things on like, who and what is Satan? Why did he fall? How? What are elect angels? What are fallen angels? What are demons? These are all different classifications and categories. That's the precepts that we talked about last week as you learn not only line by line, but precept by precept and category by category. We're going to get blown away by some stuff. But right now our focus is on this, that that realm exists. It is real. And these angels are sent to guard you and I in our journey. Look at verse 12 again in chapter 91 of the Psalms, if you're still there. Verse 12 says, They are there to lift you up in their hands 
so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The devil quoted this verse to Jesus in the temptations. You know what? Jesus did not deny the fact, did he? He said, you're making a bad application because he actually misquoted the verse because Satan put in there at any time. That's a misquote. It doesn't say at any time that you might dash your foot against stone. The whole context says that if you are trusting in me, if you are in my nest, then I am taking care of you and I have put the angels in charge. If you are doing something outside of that on your own, I don't, sometimes he will, sometimes he won't. But he says, so Jesus said you made the wrong application because he said thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So, there's applications to this. Don't try to test him on it. Just know that it's real and that it's there. Literally, how did this apply to them when Moses gave it to them? What were they doing? They were building buildings, weren't they? They were making bricks and then bricks without straw. And they were, we've seen the pyramids and we've seen the huge stones. They are going to take care of you unless a stone was going to crush you. He took care of them while they did their day-to-day work. The angels were provided for you. And then, verse 13 continues with the path of the lions and the cobras. It says, we've already talked about the devil being described as the serpent, but Peter also describes him as what? The raging lion who roars and seeking whom he may devour. So, both sets of circumstances. We've seen the arrows by day and the terror by night. The same kind of contrast is now with serpents and lions. A lion is like daytime. He's visible. He roars. He wants to freeze you in place. He makes a full frontal attack when he comes. He is daytime. He is out there. He's in your face. But he also has a subtle side. The cobra. The serpent. That likes to hide in the hedgerow that likes to hide under feet, that likes to be like the terror of the night. He's hidden, he's blended in, he's camouflaged. He blends in and it makes you afraid as you walk because just like at nighttime, I can't see. I don't know where he's at, but I know he's around and I don't want to step where he's at. So whether it's the things that are unseen that you're afraid of or the things that are seen that you're afraid of. This says, Thou shall have no fear of those, either one, because I am there around you. Don't worry about your circumstances. This is a young lion here when it says that. The word for it is young. And you know what the difference is? A young lion is strong. He has just been taught how to hunt and he wants to go prove himself. He wants to go rushing out there and to work his way up The pride, that's what they call their herd. They want to work their way up and one day be the king of beasts. These demons want to work their way up the chain of command. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that Satan has an army. He has a chain of command and it goes from lowly servants and privates all the way up to generals in his army. They want to work their way up. So you've got roaring young lions eager to go out and work their way up. And you have others who are like serpents and blended in who wants to to get in that way. And then you get around them, and you don't know, and you push your way through the hedgerow because I like to wander, and bam! 
that snake that was hidden there strikes. And the venom is going to hurt. It's going to hurt you. So you stay away from the hedgerows. You stay in the safety. The guardian angels are there to help you do that and to bear you up lest your foot strike a stone. You will be able, it says, to tread through the lions and the cobras if you do. If you completely trust in me. And why would he do that for a mess like me? Look at verse 14. Because I love him. And because I love, he loves me, says the Lord, then I will rescue him. You know what, this also has a connotation that I may have not been crying out and praying like I should all the time and being recognizing of my hedge. But this says that when it does overtake you, because you do love me, I love you. And I'm going to do something. I will hear, I will rescue, I will protect you because you acknowledge, it says, my name. Wow. Because I love God. Because I acknowledge His name. This word for love here uh, means to delight in. To really delight in something. Now, I want you, the guys, it may not apply so much to us, but you gals. Think about back in school. You're a junior in high school and you just got infatuated with a guy. Teacher's up there doing the lecture. Are you taking notes? What are you doing? Drawing a little heart. A little arrow through it. Joni loves Chachi. (laughs) Insert your name there. That's what you're doing. Why? Because you're infatuated with the person. Your mind is constantly on that person. And everything else doesn't really matter right now. That's what this word means. You've become infatuated with God. And he says, because he is, I'm going to rescue that little woolly that likes to wander around. Because I know that deep down, he loves me. I will protect him. I will take care of him. Then it not only says that, it says, but I'm going to lift him up lest at any time his foot. That's the word for exalt. To be exalted up. What does it say when Peter was given that first sermon? He said, this same Jesus that you have crucified is now both Lord and Christ, and He has been exalted to the right hand of God. When we have that positional truth in Christ, we are exalted with Him to the right hand of God. We are in favor with Him. We The word means to be made inaccessible. He has risen you above that and bore you above it. Romans 6 tells us that when we are baptized into Christ, then we also are risen with Him in a newness of life. We are above all of that now because we love God and we know Him. The word there, love God, is the word yada. In the Hebrew, yada, I've told you before, the first usage of a word really describes the main impact of it. First usage, Genesis 4, 1. Adam knew his wife, and she begat a child and bore unto him a son. Knew here is intimacy. It was the relationship, the cohabitation that formed now a child. To love someone in this yada type of way is to be intimately involved with them. When we 
are baptized into Christ, we put on Christ. And it says the church is what? The bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. And as you grow in that, you have a relationship with God through Christ. I know Him now and I love Him. That's what this says. And what are the vows that come in there? Love, honor, protect. What is all of this psalm saying to us? Because you have a relationship with me, and you are now taking my name, acknowledging it, you are a Christian, then now I am bound to love, honor, and protect you. Our relationship, our status in Christ. When we've obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine that was given to us, the scripture says we, the church, are the bride of Christ. And that he has taken care of us. Because, verse 14, he loves me. And I wear his name, I acknowledge his name. God says, I will rescue them. I will protect them. And I will exalt him with me. And verse 15 says, he will call on me. And I will answer I will be with you in trouble. I will deliver you with honors. This means to be made heavy. The word kavod means to be heavy. Whenever someone says, oh man, he's heavy. He's a heavy weight. That's what this means. He's been laden down with honors. God does that with us as well. I will show him not only blessings in life, but blessings after this life. I will show you my salvation. This ends up. Eternal life with the one who died for us. As our worship team heads on back up, we'll close this out. This psalm is marvelous. It's full of promises to you and I. These are all true. These are all promises given to us. The same promises given to Israel and Egypt applies to you and I. He's going to love, honor, and protect us because you dwell with Him. I saw this photo. I added the words. The words came to me. I, I was looking for something about promises and how God keeps His promises. And it was just the photo of this eye with a cross. And as I looked at that, I remembered Romans where it says, While I was yet sinner, Christ died for me you think about the promises of God Genesis 3 because of the fall he says I'm going to have to send my son to take care of this and he did that was the hardest promise of all he loved his son with an infinite love and yet while I was a sinner he gave him for me and he says I did that And you don't believe the rest of this stuff? It floored me when I looked at that. I've done the hard part. I saved you while you was a sinner. And now that I love you, you think I don't deliver you now? The rest of this stuff is easy. I can say a word and send an angel and it's done. I I already suffered the hard part. Whatever it is you need, if you feel like your walk hasn't been right he says that's easy too because of that confess your fault to me
And I'm faithful and just to forgive you of that and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And we walk in the light together and I am protecting you. And all of these promises are true and they're easy. And it's for you if you will accept them. Let's pray. Father, may we be challenged by what we've heard. Most of all, may we thank you for what you do, even though I don't deserve it. Thank you and may Christ be glorified in all of these things that we study and do. In Jesus' name, amen. think about Jesus and what he did on the cross. Let's try to be a sanctuary to him.
who gives me strength. Goodbye.